Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, good morning. Uh, so lovely to be with you this morning. And as Josh and M said, and as Pete said in that video that we just watched, we are kicking off a brand new series today called Holy Joe, Lessons for Life After Lockdown, looking at the story of Joseph, this biblical hero that we find in the book of Genesis. As Pete kind of introduced a little bit last week, the reason for doing this is actually that a few weeks ago, I was contacted by a prophet, someone who we as the leadership really know hears from the Lord and we trust what they say. And he said that he had a word for Emmaus, us as a church in this season. And he said that he felt like there were keys in the story of Joseph for us as we prepare for life out of lockdown. And he used this phrase that has really come alive for us as a team. And he said that God has been preparing us as Emmaus as a storehouse of hope. A storehouse of hope. And that was a a phrase that Pete introduced last week. This sense that as we continue to come to terms with the devastation caused by coronavirus and we see the famine on our doorstep, this famine of resource, of relationship and of hope, there's this sense that God is calling his church to be the place, the storehouse of hope that we can give to a hungry and a thirsty world. And so today I have the privilege of kicking off our brand new series, looking at the life of Joseph. And so if you have a Bible there, would you turn with me to Genesis 37? Genesis 37, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 11. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and because what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. And so here we have the beginning of Joseph's life. 
Clearly, we hear that he has come from a dysfunctional family. He was the favourite, and his father made that very obvious, giving him gifts that he didn't give to his brothers. And because of that, his brothers hated him. But the other thing we learn about Joseph is that he was a dreamer. But at the age of 17, where we find him in the story, he doesn't know how to handle those dreams very well. And in a culture of honour and shame, he shares this dream with his brothers, who become even more jealous of him and can't handle handle it. And they decide they want to murder him. Eventually, they end up with just selling him, trafficking him, selling him into slavery in Egypt. As he's taken into Egypt, this culture that he doesn't know, he finds himself actually in Potiphar's house, this kind of wealthy official. And in that place, he gains uh, some favour. He becomes head of the whole of Potiphar's house. This is me just giving you an overview of the book of Joseph, in case you haven't read it recently. So as head of Potiphar's house, I wonder how much he would have thought that that was the dream coming true. You know, this dream of authority and favour. And he finds himself, yes, as a slave, but in a slave of a wealthy man's house and in charge of his estate. But the story goes on and that is not the end for Joseph. He, uh, the, the Potiphar's wife decides that she is attracted to Joseph. She tries to seduce him in integrity and loyalty to Potiphar. He says no. Uh, she brings a false allegation against him and he finds himself in prison again. Suddenly, you know, for Joseph, he's had this dream from God. And since that point, everything feels like it's going in the opposite direction. He finds himself in this dungeon where he meets these two characters, a baker and a cupbearer to Pharaoh. And in that place, he has another. Uh, they both have a dream. And Joseph comes and says that he knows the God who can interpret dreams. And he gives these two different interpretations, one about the baker dying and one about the cupbearer being restored back to the position in Pharaoh's house. That comes to pass. And then we hear that he is forgotten again for another two years until eventually the cupbearer remembers Joseph when Pharaoh has a dream. This dream about seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And then the the cupbearer reminds Pharaoh. Pharaoh brings Joseph before him. Joseph interprets the dream and suddenly we find this moment where uh, Joseph is restored into this place of becoming the second most important person in the empire. And we see for the beginning of Joseph's story, actually the promise he was given, this dream he was given at 17, beginning to come to pass. And so that's a little bit of Joseph's story, and we're going to be dropping in in different places over the next four or five weeks as we look at that. But John Mark Comer says it right when he says that Joseph's dream was harder, longer, different, but ultimately better than 17-year-old Joseph could have imagined. And so as we explore this series, we're going to be looking at some key themes. We're going to be looking at how God actually uses pain and trauma in our lives to prepare us for favour. There's this difference between the promise and the palace for Joseph. And it seems that the pain in that space is what God uses to prepare Joseph to be the man who stands in Pharaoh's place. Then we're going to be looking at this question of how do we have courage and conviction even when it hurts? 
how the world is desperate for people of character at the moment. And so David Yagnazar in two weeks' time is going to be exploring this, this series in Potiphar's house with us for Joseph. And then finally, we're going to look at how the dreams God gives us are ultimately about bringing life to the city and bringing God's salvation and resurrection power to the places that need it most. Because there is a famine on the doorstep, right? And there's a famine of resource, of relationship and of hope. And we believe that the Lord is preparing us as Emmaus to be a storehouse of hope. So we're excited for this series, not just to learn our Bibles a little bit better, but to be transformed and prepared by the word of God for what we feel he is calling us into. This A, B, C, D, E that that Pete laid out last week. We believe that the story of Joseph is going to propel us into that. But today, before we get onto those themes, for Joseph, it starts with a dream. And we believe that for us, it starts with a dream as well. Since the beginning of time, God's people have been dreamers. It seems that God has built us, put us together in such a way that we only really flourish when we carry a dream, a vision, a hope in our hearts. And I'm not just talking about dreams in terms of the things that we experience at night, although I do believe, as in this story, that is one of the ways that God kind of reveals things to us. I'm talking about any way that God gives you a dream or a vision for the future. It could be at night, but it could be a prophetic word. We really believe that Emmaus, God speaks through the prophets and through prophetic utterance. Or simply it might be a a desire, a, a hunger you see in the world and a desire to meet that hunger that begins to grow inside of you. I wonder if you're watching, how is it that through your history with God, how is it that you find that he speaks to you? Because I feel strongly this morning that as we prepare for life out of lockdown, The Lord is calling us to dare to dream again. One of the most painful side effects of trauma and trial seems to be that it chokes up our passion and our ability to have a dream and a vision for the future. It gives us tunnel vision. It forces us to just look down at the ground right in front of us. And so I wonder for you how the uncertainty and pain and questions and trial of this year has maybe made you lose faith, lose hope, stop remembering the prophetic words or the dreams that God has given you over many years. Because the the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible, says that without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. And that word for vision there is this Hebrew word, chazon, chazon. And it's the word that's used consistently throughout the Old Testament for this sense of prophetic vision. So at the book of Isaiah, the book of prophecy, we find that in Isaiah 1.1, it says that Isaiah had a vision. Isaiah had a hazor, this revelation that's given to him by God about this future that is going to come to pass. In the NIV, it doesn't say that they perish. It says that they that without a vision, the people throw off restraint. There's this sense of without God speaking to us, without God revealing to us what he is doing, we lose ourselves. We lose our future. We lose our restraint. We begin to perish. And so it seems to me that the opposite must be true. 
that with a vision, with a hope, with a dream, with a prophetic word, the people survive. And so that is why I feel it's so important that the Lord is calling us in this day to dare to dream again as a church and as individuals. I wonder what dreams you've carried that have dropped off because of the unemployment market or the financial market or because of personal insecurity or because of loss or because of whatever has happened to you this week, this, this year. But interestingly, what we see with Joseph is that pain and trial doesn't steal or invalidate the dream that God has given him. It's actually what God uses to prepare Joseph for the dream that he gave him when he was 17. What if this last year wasn't a blip, but it was the very training ground that God was going to use to prepare you as the author and perfecter of, of your faith to prepare you for the dream that he's been giving you for years. To prepare your character, to prepare your capacity, to, compare, to prepare your competency, to not just to reach your dream, but to survive and thrive when you do eventually get there. Jill's going to be pushing into that theme a little bit next week around how God uses pain in our lives to prepare us for favour. But let me ask you this morning, what is the purpose of a dream? What is the purpose of a dream? Why did God give Joseph those strange dreams when he was 17? Well, I'd like to suggest to you today that the dreams that God gives us is not about knowing the future. It's not God's way of giving us a little foretaste that we can create a nice, neat little plan as these things come to pass. It seems that if that's the purpose that God uses, then he's not very good at his job because he left out a few of the key details that I'm sure Joseph would appreciate it if it was all about creating a plan. It seems to me that whenever God gives us a dream, it always comes a little undefined, a little blurry around the edges. It is, as the famous theologian N.T. Wright says, a prophetic word or a vision is a signpost pointing into the fog. A signpost that points into the fog. And so if it's not about giving us clarity about the future, it's far more about telling us how to live in the present. That's why God gives us a taste of what is to come. Not so that we can know exactly how it's going to plan out, but so that we know how to live in the present. Dreams that God gives us build this resilience in us that allows us to thrive and survive even in the trials that we face in the everyday. They help us to see beyond the walls of the valleys that we find ourselves in. I wonder how many times Joseph, when he found himself locked up, betrayed, lied about, forgotten must have spent time meditating on that dream that God gave him when he was 17. With a vision, the people don't perish, they persevere. And I think that that's what we see in the life of Joseph, this ability to keep persevering, to keep going, to hold on to faith. Later in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul will say to his disciple Timothy, 
Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. In keeping the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. There is this sense that God wants us to use the prophetic words that he's given us as weapons in our arsenal to fight the battle well, to keep faith, to keep going, to keep persevering. And I think that's one of the keys that we can see why Joseph manages to thrive the hardships and still be a man of courage, of courage and conviction and integrity. He always believed, despite everything, that his dream would still come to pass. He believed that despite everything, his dream would still come to pass. And why do I think that? Well, as I was reading through the Joseph story, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before. That at the lowest point, I believe, in his story, he's been betrayed by his family, He's been betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He's chosen to live with loyalty and integrity, like moral upstanding, and he's found himself in Pharaoh's dungeon. He must have felt so far away from that dream that he'd been given. Since then, his life just feels like it's gone from bad to worse to worse. And yet, he still goes on to interpret three other people's dreams. I mean, that's interesting to me. Joseph's life up to that point doesn't seem one that testifies that we can trust the God of dreams. Right? He's found himself so far away after so many years from the promise and the dream that God has given him. And yet in faith, he still chooses to interpret other people's dreams, believing that the God of dreams is faithful to what he says. And these aren't just any people's dreams, right? He goes on to interpret Pharaoh's dream, having spent time in a dungeon with two people that were thrown into prison because Pharaoh got annoyed with them. One eventually goes on to be killed. And yet despite that, Joseph, in faith, still says, I believe the God of dreams and this is what will come to pass. Despite everything, he has held on to the God of dreams. There's actually an interesting line just before he goes to see Pharaoh where it says that they changed his clothes and shaved his hair. You've got a picture in your mind, this person who's been in a dungeon, right? He would stink, he'd have rags on, all his hair would have grown out, all his facial hair. Talking about kind of looking in a mirror and seeing a very like representation of the fact that you have been forgotten. And yet despite that, he goes on to say, I can interpret your dream, Pharaoh, because I know the God of dreams. And so I'd like to suggest to you that the way that Joseph thrived is that he didn't always know why, but he did always know God. He didn't always know why, but he did always know God. There's this repeated phrase that comes up four times through Joseph's life, and it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Even in Potiphar's house, even in the prison, 
In every point in Joseph's story, this one thing remained true. The Lord was with Joseph. So I believe he didn't always know why, but he did always know God. And because of that, he still believed. And surely the same could be true for us today. I'm sure there's, everyone has fought battles this year. I'm sure everyone can look back and say, things didn't pan out the way that I was expecting. I didn't always know why, and yet I can still say, I did always know God. I did always trust the God of dreams. I remember in my own life, there was this moment where I had gone to America. I was in my early 20s. I'd spent a year out there and I'd come back from the summer convinced that God was calling me that I was going to be going back to America for another year of training. And I had these three months in between to raise several thousand pounds to be able to pay uh, for this second year of training. Um, I had got my visa. Everything was going according to plan. And Obviously, it wasn't enough time to earn thousands of pounds, but I had this sort of ace in the pack in that before I'd gone for that first year, I had uh, had a tax return that I knew I had a, a load of money, a couple of thousand pounds that could come back into my account because I've overpaid on my tax. So I filled in all the appropriate paperwork, went to the tax office, spoke to them, and they said, that's all fine. But the days and the weeks that I ticking away and it was getting closer to the point where I'd have to fly out and I hadn't heard anything. I was on the phone trying to get in contact with them and eventually two weeks before I was meant to fly I got through to someone and I gave them my reference number and I said look I, I need this money I was told it would be here weeks ago and it always stuck with me the guy on the phone said and I quote I have never seen this before but your application has been lost and it needs to be restarted I was praying for this miracle of provision to be able to go and it felt like the opposite happened this unusual situation in which my money somehow got lost that I needed to be go out and do what I felt like God was calling me to do. So I said, well, it sounds like you found it. Can you, can you send it to me? And the man was like, sorry, we've got to start it again. It's going to take at least four to six weeks. And I knew that I couldn't go. I hung up the phone and I felt so dejected. I had no idea what was going to happen. I couldn't go back out. My whole life was about going back out to America that next year. And so that weekend, I decided to go and see my youth leader growing up, just to talk and pray with them, someone I trusted, a kind of father figure in my life. And I explained to them what happened, and it turns out that that very day I went to see them, 24-7 prayer, had sent out an application for a job. That youth leader ended up sending my CV into 24-7. I got hired, and now 15 years later, here I am, serving this incredible church, married with a family and a daughter, just really enjoying my life serving in this church. And none of that would have happened if it had played out the way that I was expecting it to. There was a sense of that moment I never would have known as I hung up the phone, felt, feeling like everything had gone wrong. My dream was in tatters and yet God knew something different. So there's that sense of we don't always know why, but we do always know God. And so as I come into land this morning, I want to encourage you to dare to dream again. Last week, Pete told us that Emmaus has been stepping into an unusual time of prophetic words and dreams being realised. 
our social transformation transformation work has doubled. We've seen our biggest alpha ever. We're standing in these incredible brand new refurbished buildings to the glory of God. Our house of prayer has grown. Now we can say we are truly a house of prayer with over a thousand prayer meetings in the last year. We've released albums fulfilling prophetic words over this church. There is a sense that the Lord is calling Emmaus into new realms of influence. And I honestly believe that for each of us as individuals, the Lord is going to be leading us into a season of resurrecting old dreams and planting new ones. I remember Tim Hughes saying once this line, it seems that God has two speeds, slowly and suddenly, slowly and suddenly. And I think that we are moving into a season of suddenlies. That is what we've seen over this last year, this sense of suddenly, the suddenly of God happening as prophetic words over this church that we've carried for years are suddenly, even in the midst of a pandemic, coming to life. And so I want to encourage you this week to pull out the old prophetic words that you have over your life. Stick them on the bathroom mirror again. Read them when you wake up and when you go to bed. Rediscover that that seed of faith that you had around them, go into a season of dreaming again. And you know, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, keeps saying to us that we need to build back better. It seems to me that to be able to do that, we need a church that is daring to dream again. We believe that it's the church that carry the deepest answers to a hungry world. We need a church that is daring to dream again, seeing how these visions that the God has given us can meet the famine we see on our doorstep. I love the fact that Joseph wasn't a ministry man. He wasn't a preacher or a worship leader. If anything, he was an economist. But God used his gift, his gift in the marketplace to bring about the salvation of many. And so what dream is God giving you? What dream is God giving you where the dream that you carry meets the hunger of the world? How are you being a storehouse of hope? What has God given you over the last year that we might give out to a hungry and thirsty world? In the words of C.S. Lewis, you're never too old to dream another dream. You're never too old to dream another dream. And so I'm going to pray in just a second. But if you're sitting there and thinking, I've got no idea how to discover this dream. You're feeling so hopeless right now. We have a prayer ministry team who would love to pray with you. They'd love to listen to the Lord for you and with you about what he feels like uh, he is speaking over your life right now. So that's going to be opening in just a few minutes time. There's a link coming up that can show you how to get there. But for everyone else, I want to encourage you right now to just hold out your hands. This posture of receiving, of receiving. We don't strive for dreams, we receive them, believing that the Lord wants to speak to us. So I want to encourage you to hold out your hands right now and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we we thank you that you are the God of dreams. We thank you that we can trust you today. And Lord Jesus, we hear your call. We hear you speaking to us through the life of Joseph. 
we see you giving him dreams that eventually come to pass for the salvation of many. We know that they are different, they can be harder, they can take longer, but you are still trustworthy to bring them to pass. And so, Lord Jesus, especially for everyone who the battles of this year, the questions of this year have choked up that part of them, that dreams that connects with you, that has a vision for the future. I pray right now, spirit of the living God, that you would come and grow a new sense of hope, a new sense of vision, a new sense of the future right now. Lord Jesus, give us those things that we need as a compass in the dark, a signpost into the fog to show us how to live now trusting that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And for Emmaus, Lord Jesus, this company, this family, your church in Guildford, Woking and Oldershot, Lord Jesus, we posture ourselves right now and say, use us as you will. Give us dreams and visions to see how we might bless the city and the cities that you have placed us in. Use it for your glory, God, in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.